Good morning. Welcome to The Point, the radio ministry of Life Point Baptist Church of Early Texas. Life Point Baptist Church meets for Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and we meet at the Early Chamber of Commerce Small Business Incubator Facility, which is located at 104 East Industrial Drive in Early. That's just off of Highway 377, next to where they're building those new townhomes. We'd love to be able to meet with you this morning, but if not, maybe sometime in the future. We do have some online resources you can follow. You can follow us online on our blog at point2life.wordpress.com, point2life.wordpress.com. You can also follow us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash point2life. This morning, I'd like to look at Revelation chapters 4 and 5. Revelation chapters 4 and 5. We are going to take a trip inside the throne room of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapters 4 and 5. Revelation chapter 4 verse 1 says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God." And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book, and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. 
And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. The book of Revelation was written to the churches of Asia, primarily to the seven churches of Asia, to prepare them to meet the Lord. The book of Revelation was written to churches to prepare God's people to meet their Savior. Revelation begins by addressing issues within the individual churches of Asia. And from that, we learn that there are, in, there are issues in our lives and issues within our churches that we need to resolve as well. Then in chapters 4 and 5, Revelation gives us a peek inside the throne room of Christ. And from the throne room of Christ, Revelation will give us a view of the glory of the coming of the Lord. In giving us Revelation, the Lord not only prompts us to repent of our sin and to return to our love and faith in Him, he gives us hope in showing our coming deliverance, and he shows us the glory of his return, and he gives us his perspective on this. He gives us actually three perspectives on this. Inside the throne room, the Lord gives us three perspectives. The Lord gives us his perspective, the Lord gives us the angelic perspective, and the Lord gives us our perspective. So first, Let's talk about looking at this from the throne room of Christ and looking at the world, its condition, and the future from the throne room of Christ. Let's look at things from the Lord's perspective. In verses 2 and 3, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat on the throne was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight likened to an emerald. The Apostle John is working under the command to write down what he sees and to write down what he hears. And he has been welcomed into the throne room of Christ. And there are sights there in the throne room of Christ unlike anything that we have on this earth. And so John is doing his best to describe what he is seeing and to communicate that in such a way that we can kind of get a visual for what he's seeing. And what he is seeing is one sitting on the throne. He looks upon Christ. He looks at Christ sitting on his throne, and he describes what he sees as jasper and sardine stone. And then the throne is surrounded by a rainbow. And so in seeing Christ on his throne, like jasper, like sardine, 
surrounded by a rainbow, we see the glory of Christ on his throne. Now, what's the significance of those details, the jasper and the sardine stone and the rainbow? What's the significance of all that? Well, jasper and sardine is red. And when you look through a red lens, everything that you see that is red disappears or is canceled out. And so the redness is significant because when you look through the lens of Christ and you have been covered by the blood of Christ, then your sin has been canceled out. You see, a lot of people think that the color of sin is black. When we make those little bracelets for the kids in uh, vacation Bible school, they have the different colors on them, you know, with white being purity, red being the blood of Christ, black being sin, green being life. All right, we miscolor that when we proclaim that black is the color of sin because black is not the color of sin. Red is the color of sin, and you can find this in the Bible in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 says, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And so your sin is actually red, but yet Christ will make it white as snow. If you take a red lens and you write letters in red on a piece of paper, and you look through that red lens at that piece of paper, you will not see those red letters because the red cancels out. You see, when the Bible portrays Christ as being red like jasper, red like sardine, then what we are seeing here is that Christ has canceled out our sin. He has covered our sins. He covered our sins with his own blood, also red, and he shed that blood on the cross. And so when John looks at Christ, he looks at a symbol of canceled sin. He looks at a symbol of forgiven sin, of sin that has been paid for and done away with. And that brings us to the rainbow. The rainbow is a symbol of God's covenant to not destroy the world with a flood in judgment. The rainbow is a symbol of the forbearance and grace of God. And there on the throne, the Lord sits with that rainbow in front of him, reminding him of the promise to not destroy the world with a flood, reminding him of the forbearance and grace that he has extended to all men. Now, there are those in this world today that live an exceedingly sinful lifestyle and they use the rainbow as their signal, as their, as their trademark, as their flag. And the problem is that they are living an exceedingly sinful lifestyle, and they are using the symbol of God's grace and forbearance as their token. And basically what they are doing is that they are daring God to judge them. They are basically saying, we're going to live this sinful lifestyle, and we're going to use God's symbol of forbearance and grace as our logo. Therefore, we are throwing God's grace and his forbearance right back up in his face. But that's not what the rainbow was intended to be. The rainbow was meant to show God's promise to not destroy us in a flood, to not destroy the world again the way he did back in the days of Noah. It is a symbol of God's grace. It is a symbol of God's forbearance. It is a symbol of God's patience with us. 
and we should revere it as such. And in the throne room of Christ, he is surrounded by that rainbow that reminds him of his forgiveness, of his forbearance, of his grace, of his patience. In his throne room, now notice this, the jasper and sardine represented representative of the canceled out sin, the sin that has been paid for, the rainbow reminding us of God's grace and forbearance. So when you go into the throne room of Christ, the Lord has surrounded himself with reminders of his grace, his atonement, and his forgiveness for us. The Lord in his throne room reminds himself of his payment for our sins, reminds himself of his promises to us, And now you may think, does he need to be reminded? No, the Lord doesn't need to be reminded, but it's what he likes to look at. It's what he surrounds himself with. You know, you can tell a lot about a fellow by the way he decorates his office. Have you ever gone into an office and seen the way the man has decorated it and figured out, or the way his wife has decorated it in many cases and kind of figured out what he's about? I mean, you ever go into an office and there's deer heads on the wall? You go into an office and there's deer heads on the wall. You get the idea that this guy's an outdoorsman. He likes to go hunting, and that's all well and good. You go into an office and there's sports trophies everywhere. This is a guy that is or was athletic who experienced a lot of success in athletics and and is proud of that and likes to remember those days. Or perhaps he's a coach and he's coached many teams to victory and he's proud of that and he wants to show that off. He's an athletic fella. You ever go into an office and there's degrees all over the wall, all kinds of degrees, this university, that university, that course of study, there's a bachelor's, there's a master's, there's a doctorate, there's an associate's, there's a certificate. That's a guy who is proud of his accomplishments. You go into an office and there's pictures of kids and this lady everywhere on the office, everywhere on the walls of the office and everywhere on the on the desk. That's a guy who is a family man who's proud of his family who wants to show off his family and how great they are, and he's a guy who probably wishes he could spend more time with his family. He's a family man. You can tell a lot about a man by the way he decorates his office. man who doesn't decorate his office, eh, he's, you know, pr- probably not too concerned about spending any time in that office. Maybe he's not planning on spending much time there at all. And so there's a lot to be said for a man about the way he decorates his office. Now, you go into the throne room of Christ, that is like his office. You go into the throne room of Christ and you see that the most prominent fixtures in the office are things that symbolize our forgiveness, our redemption, and the Lord's patience and forbearance on us. Those are the things that are most important to Christ. The most important thing to Christ is our redemption and the promises that he has made to us. That's front and center in the throne room of Christ. Your redemption and your salvation, the most important things to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's something to take comfort in because the Lord is not sitting up on his throne up in heaven, distant, uninvolved, angry, ready to strike you with lightning. The Lord is on his throne paying special close attention to what's going on in your life. If you haven't accepted him as Savior, he is working to bring you to that point of repentance, to that point of redemption. Quit fighting him and turn from your sins and trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior today. If you already know the Lord is your Savior, 
He is working within your life to refine you. Those are the most important things to him. That's what occupies his mind. That's what occupies his time. So we see the perspective from the throne room of Christ, and that's going to be important because as we move forward in the book of Revelation, you're going to see some pretty cataclysmic events taking place in the book of Revelation. And there are going to be some tragic events, and there are going to be some some heartbreaking events, some scary and frightening events. And there are going to be some events that happen in this world that people will say, how could a loving God allow this to happen? But all of this is happening to redeem and to save and to bring as many people to repentance as will be able to be saved. And so that's what the Lord's focus is, is salvation, redemption, repentance, salvation, new births in Christ, new converts. That's what the Lord is focused on here. And so that's why he pulls out all the stops in Revelation, because by the time we get to the end of this book, the Lord has done so much in the world that it has forced every man to make a conscious decision as to whether he will accept the Lord or whether he will reject him. So that's the perspective from the Lord's throne room. That's his perspective. The second perspective we get here in Revelation chapter 4 is the angelic perspective. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. We're in uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 6, by the way. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Now, first of all, when I see these creatures described in Scripture— that had eyes before and behind, one like a lion, one like a calf, one with the face of a man, one that was like a flying eagle. I I look at the descriptions of these creatures, these angelic beings, and I think to myself, man, how creative God is with these creatures. You know, artists have endeavored to undertake depicting these creatures in paintings and sculptures over the years, and no two paintings, no two sculptures come out alike. These are indescribable creatures. Notice how indescribable they are. Notice how John must have felt seeing these things for the first time. And notice how majestic they are, how amazing they are. And notice these majestic, indescribable creatures, these angelic beings. Notice how the focus of these angelic beings is praising the Lord. He created them. They have life. They exist. They're moving around. They're magnificent. They're majestic. And they're happy he created them. They're happy to be there. And therefore, they praise him. And they never quit praising him. And notice, they're choosing to praise him. You see, when you read Scripture and you get the whole picture as you read through the Bible, you understand that Satan was not some sort of an anti-God being that rose up and opposed God and started a spiritual galactic war with God. Satan was once an angel created by God for the purpose of praising God. And Satan decided that he was going to rise up 
and take the throne of God from him and rise up to be above God's throne. Satan was an angel created by God who decided to rebel against God. Mankind decided to escape God's presence and praise themselves. That was the whole point of eating the fruit in the garden when Satan told Eve that in the day that you eat, you'll be as gods knowing good and evil. He told Adam and Eve that the reason God didn't allow them to eat that fruit is because he knew that the day that they did, they wouldn't need him anymore. And so they ate the fruit to escape God's control, to escape his presence, and also to lift themselves up as gods. And so there you have in Scripture two different occasions where God's creations, an angel and mankind, decided to rebel against God. But notice these angelic beings in the throne room of Christ, they don't do that. They were created by the Lord. They were created by God. They have life. They have consciousness. They're majestic beings, and they're glad to be there with the Lord. They're glad to be in his presence. They're glad to have been created. They're glad to be living today, and so they're praising the Lord for it. Imagine, imagine if we took on that same attitude. Are you happy to be alive this morning? Are you happy to be created? Are you happy to have the consciousness that you have today? Are you happy that the Lord made you who you are? Notice that the one that's like a lion doesn't wish he was more like the one like an eagle. The angelic being that was like a lion is happy to be the one that's like a lion. The one that was like an eagle, happy to be the one that was like an eagle. They're happy to be who they are. Are you happy to be who you are today? And do you praise God for it? Are you happy that the Lord created you? And are you praising him and are you worshiping him for it? If not... There's a deep spiritual issue going on in your heart. And I've had that issue myself. But that's we have to understand that's that's not a good thing when we are not happy to be alive, when we're not thankful that the Lord created us, when we're not ready to praise him for creating us and and for giving us life, and we're not ready to and we're not feeling like praising him for what he's done in our lives. That's a problem when we don't want to praise the Lord. That's a deep spiritual problem, one that needs to be healed, one that we need to repent from. Do you praise the Lord today? Verses 10 and 11, the four and 20 elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Each of these elders in Revelation chapter 4 has a crown. Now, a crown represents victory, a crown represents prestige, a crown represents position, usually worn by a king or a ruler. A crown is a big deal, it's not just a headdress. And that crown also represents wealth. You see, these 24 elders sitting before the Lord, they each have prestige. They each have position. They are each rulers in some sort or fashion. And they're each wealthy. They have their crowns. Where did they get their crowns from? Where did they get their crowns? Who gave them those crowns? The Lord gave them those crowns. The Lord elevated them and made them prestigious, gave them their positions, blessed them with the wealth that they have. 
In fact, they even praise him for making them kings and priests. So each one of these elders cast their crowns before the throne. The crowns came from the Lord, and these elders worshiped by casting their crowns back to him. Instead of saying, yeah, I got a crown. I'm a king and a priest. Everybody look at me. They instead used their position on those seats, on those thrones, on those chairs, whatever you want to envision them as being, to point right back to the Lord. Do we realize where our blessings come from? Do you realize where your blessing comes from? Well, I worked. You know, that movie Shenandoah, the, the character played by Jimmy Stewart, you know, they sit down to dinner and they're going to have, they're going to have dinner. They got all these like lima beans and, and peas and corn and cornbread. And, you know, maybe there was a chicken or something that they'd cooked up that they were about to carve up and eat. And Jimmy Stewart tells the boys, okay, we got to pray because your mama was always big on this religion stuff. So we got to pray. And so he prays. He says, Lord, we thank you for the food. We planted it. We harvested it. It wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't. But nonetheless, we thank you anyway. Amen. Remember that prayer? All too often, that's how we view God's blessings. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God gave it to me, but I worked for it. I worked for it. I put in those 80-hour weeks. I put in the overtime. I got the education. I developed my skill. Therefore, I have this blessing. God blessed me, but I worked my tail off for this blessing. That's not really expressing thanks to the Lord. Who gave you the opportunity to go to school, to get the education, to get the big job? Who gave you the ability to work the job? Who gave you the skill set in order to be able to perform that job well? Who put you in a country where you could, through your own hard work, obtain those blessings? There are places that people are living today. That no matter how hard they try, no matter how good a decision that they make, no matter how wise they are with their resources, they are still going to be stuck in absolute poverty because of the country that they live in. You're blessed. You see, our blessings come from the Lord. The fact that I was raised by God-fearing people who relentlessly steered me back onto the right path is a blessing. I could have been the child of two drug dealers or two drug addicts who would have abandoned me and left me orphaned on the streets of some inner city somewhere with no real understanding of the opportunity that I really had before me. The Lord blessed me to be born and raised in rural Texas in a Christian community with God-fearing folks. That's a blessing. It's led me here. It's a blessing. Do we realize where our blessings come from? And do we praise the Lord for it? And finally, there's our perspective. We go on to Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. Listen, that book is the end time prophecy. It's the fulfillment of the prophecy of the coming of the Lord. The apostle John, as he's writing this, had been stuck on the Isle of Patmos in prison for preaching the word of God. 
He had seen many of his friends killed for the faith. He had lost many friends to death. He was looking forward to the day that the Lord returned and established his kingdom. And there's the book. There's the book being held by the one on the throne that once it's opened, all the problems that John has goes away and he'll be right back in the presence of his beloved Jesus Christ. But yet no one was found able to open the book. And if that book doesn't open, John's stuck here forever. So he weeps. But he is told by one of the elders that the Lord has prevailed to open the book. And he looks, and a lamb as it had been slain came forth to open the seals. That's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who prevailed to open the book because he gave his life for us on the cross, was killed for our sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. Therefore, he is able to open the book. And when he opens that book, our deliverance will be final. Life Point Baptist Church meets for Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and we meet at the Early Chamber of Commerce Small Business Incubator Facility, 104 East Industrial Drive in Early, just off of Highway 377, where they're building those new townhomes. May God bless you richly today. May you have a wonderful Sunday. Take care.